Well, it is good to be here today. You guys good? Yeah? Man, last week was really fun. We had a seven-mile miracle. We went on a journey together to Emmaus, and we saw Jesus meet two guys right in the middle of their disappointment, right in the middle of their doubts, and right in the details, he revealed himself to them. And the lesson for us is that no matter where we are or where we're going, Jesus moves towards us. He pursues us passionately, patiently, and persistently. He's not out to get us, he's out to grow us and to win us back. And that's the beauty of God, isn't it? That resurrection is not just this one-time event. It's this everyday reality. And every day we can experience a little bit of a resurrection, so to speak. And today we're going to continue our journey. Uh, we're going to be talking about the miracle on the beach. And it's another, another way that Jesus revealed himself to his disciples post-empty tomb, post-resurrection. And so Jesus, over the course of 40 days, finds these ways to reveal himself to his disciples. And uh, today is going to be a great lesson, I think. We're, we're going to be learning about the benefits of Jesus' love for us. Why is it such a big deal that Jesus loves us? Show of hands, how many of you right now can think of a song with the word love in the title? Pretty much all of us, right? Pretty much all of us. We sang a song earlier, Reckless Love. Uh, I think about uh, the Bob Marley song. Who mentions Bob Marley in church? I do. Um, is this love, is this love that I'm feeling? Anybody know that song? She loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, Beatles fans. How about the song, What is Love? Baby, don't hurt me, don't hurt me, no more. Night at the Roxbury, anybody? Help me out. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. We all can think of a song with love in the title. The most popular song, maybe in the history of mankind, with love in the title is, everybody with me, Jesus Loves me, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. Leave me by myself up here, guys. Come on. For the Bible tells me so. Okay, there's a reason why I'm not sitting on the stage this morning. Shay is really good at that. But that, that's the song that we all know, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. What if we reverse it? What if we said, I love Jesus, this I know? Wouldn't that be kind of silly? It doesn't sound quite right. Yet, I think... For a lot of us, that's how we live. That's our mentality. If we're not careful, we could be just driven all the time by our love for Jesus. Now, I know that sounds opposite. I know that sounds upside down. I don't want you to walk away from here thinking, man, Heath doesn't want us to love Jesus. That's really important. Love Jesus. But it all starts with Jesus' love for us. And as a result of his love for us, we can't help but love him and love other people. Are you with me? Sometimes we get caught up in this mentality of trying as opposed to trusting. We get caught up in behavior modification instead of life transformation. We get stuck in this rut of trying to earn God's approval as opposed to accepting his loving sacrifice. So what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. So today we're going to be answering that question, what is love and what kind of love has Jesus given us? Baby, don't hurt me. So, so that we can live a life where we're not walking on eggshells, wondering if, oh my gosh, did I hurt Jesus' feelings? Did I offend him? 
Um, man, I, I, I just need to prove my love for Jesus. I need to prove my love uh, for Jesus to other people. And you know, we're not meant to live in fear and in doubt and this insecurity and uncertainty about where we stand with Jesus. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, friends, we need to know that we are secure in our relationship with Jesus. Amen? So today we're going to be going on a journey together. We're going to be learning about the miracle on the beach, and we're going to be camping out on two individuals, two guys named Peter and John, two disciples, two apostles, Peter and John. You see, it's more about his love for us, love of Jesus' love for us, than our love for him. And we find that out through these two characters, these through, through these two dudes named named John and Peter. John, his mentality was, Jesus loves me. And we'll find out why in a little bit. His approach to being closer to God, his foundation was, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. That was his identity. That was his security. That was who he was. That was who he proclaimed himself to be. We'll find out as we read the Gospels together. But Peter, Peter's mentality other side of the coin, his approach to being closer to God was, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And he was all about trying to prove his love for Jesus, to Jesus and to other people. He made these bold, crazy, crazy statements. He, he was full of pride. I will never desert you, Jesus. I will never deny you. He had this ride or die mentality, but it was it was more about his, his works. It was more about following the rules. It was more about this on-the-surface performance as opposed to the overflow in his heart, as opposed to him just trusting a love of Jesus for him. Peter, I love Jesus. John, Jesus loves me. This has huge implications for our lives. Yes, love Jesus with all you've got, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but only after you have received the unconditional love of Jesus for you. Are you with me? So John 1.17, we find out in the first chapter of John um, what he believes about the love of God. We read, for the law was given through Moses. So he acknowledges that there's a set of rules, there's boundaries, and there's commandments. We all know the Ten Commandments, and God's heart behind all of that was his love for us. But if we're not careful, our lives can be bogged down by rules and regulations and boundaries. And, and we have this picture of God as this police officer always out to get us. No, 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 no. Halfway through this verse, John says, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. How many of us need God's unfailing love in our lives? I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I have failed miserably as a dad, as a husband. I do, I do a lot of things right, but my kids no longer think that I'm like this lawless, super holy, righteous hero of a dad. I mean, they still look up to me, they respect me, but they've seen my flaws, <laughs> and I've had a chance to Swallow my pride and apologize to them and apologize to Lindsay especially. I mean, that's an everyday occurrence in our household, realizing that I'm not perfect. I mean, how many of you are perfect in here in this place this morning? Just raise your hand. 
okay, how many of you are almost perfect like Jesus and then here's you? Usually a couple in the crowd. <laughs> this is a hospital. A church is a hospital full of sick people. And we need the great physician to come alongside of us and heal us and restore us, right? And I talked to somebody the other day and he's like, yeah, I got burnt by a church a long time ago. There are a couple of people that were just hypocrites. They were, they were proclaiming one thing with their mouth, but they were walking out the door living a different lifestyle. And I'm like, that's all of us. <laughs> and we're, we're, to be honest, we're even more hypocrites than you think we are, you know? So we need God's unfailing love, right? We need, we need his unfailing love in our lives because we will stumble and we will fall. Proverbs 24, 16 says, though a righteous man stumbles and falls. Even Billy Graham, even Mother Teresa, even the great heroes of the faith stumbled and they fell. And so do we. Let's keep going. The disciple Jesus love, John 13, 23, 25, here we are, we're in the upper room, the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathers with the disciples around the table and he tells them the bad news. He tells them that someone around that table will betray him. And so, talk about an awkward moment. Peter's sitting there and because of his insecurity, he asks John to ask Jesus who it is who will betray him. Disciple, Jesus loved. I love that, right? It is a little weird to speak in the third person. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, and notice John here doesn't say the disciple Jesus loved the most, you know? He just was secure in God's love for him. He just kind of proclaimed it. <laughs> the disciple whom Jesus loved. You are a disciple who Jesus loved. John was sitting next to Jesus at the table, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, well, who's he talking about? Who will betray Jesus? And you see Peter across the table be like, John, John, ask him, ask him, ask him. Who is it, who is it? So that disciple leaned over, John leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? So the first benefit of Jesus' love for us, Jesus' love makes us secure. It makes us secure. John, John's okay to ask Jesus that question. He wasn't walking in fear or in doubt about where he stood with Jesus. He just said, yeah, I'll ask Jesus, who is it that will betray you? I, I'm, I'm secure in my relationship with you. It's all good. And Peter's over there like, oh my gosh, what have I done? What have I done to jeopardize Jesus' love for me? Is it me? Will I betray him? He was just walking, was just kind of walking around in eggshells on pins and needles like, oh my gosh, is it me? This insecurity, this guilt, this shame, and he has this sense of performance, and he's keeping a record of wrong and of right in his life. So he has John do the dirty work and ask Jesus, who will betray you? Jesus' love makes us secure. I think so often the reality is we walk around every day, whether we realize it or not, with a rose in our hand, and we take one petal off at a time, so to speak, and we think, uh, I tithe today. He loves me. Oh, man, I lie, a little white lie a few minutes ago. He loves me not. He loves me. I served in promised land this morning. He loves me. Oh, ah, man. Oh, I was envious towards my neighbor. He loves me not. Oh, I told a guy on the airplane uh, about Jesus. He loves me. Oh, man. Oh, 
got real greedy, hoarded all that money, didn't, didn't give it away generously. He loves me not. That's not how we're meant to live. It's not a he loves me, he loves me not based on our actions, based on what we do or don't do, friends. We're not meant to live like that. That's religion. Jesus came to start a relationship, not a religion. And so here we are around the table, and Peter, in his insecurity, asks John to ask Jesus, who will betray? Peter's fearful that it's him. We need security, don't we? Hebrews 4, 16 says, to let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it the most. When we were at our worst, Jesus was at his best. At our very worst moment, past, present, and future, Jesus is at his best. Who's thankful for that today? By his grace and his mercy, grace is getting what we don't deserve. How many of us have experienced grace from a friend or a spouse? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Jesus gives us both. There we are, stumbling and falling on the floor, covered in our own sin. But yet Jesus pursues us out of his love. No condemnation. He's not looking down on us or thinking less of us or calling us names. He's not keeping track. Love keeps no record of wrong, 1 Corinthians 13. He reaches out his hand like loving father and pulls us up and dusts us off and says, you know what? As a reminder, you're still my son. You're still my daughter. I love you and nothing can change that. Security. Live with that security, knowing that no matter what you do or don't do, Jesus still loves you. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of the good news. So that you can come boldly to God. You don't have to worry about if he's going to zap you or think less of you or you're not going to lose his love for you. You can come boldly into his presence every day and know that, that, know that he loves you. Mark 14, 27 through 29, Jesus told the disciples, all of you will desert me. How's that <laughs> for an icebreaker? All of you will desert me. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will, Jesus. You can see him puffing out his chest with pride. <laughs> Ride or die, Jesus, I'm with you. He makes this bold, outlandish commitment. Now, I like his passion. I like his zeal. But his heart, his heart is, is more of a mentality, it's more of a posture of performing and it's this doing and following the rules and just work, working his way towards Jesus. What he fails to know is that Jesus has worked his way towards him, that he can rest in that love. I never will, Peter says. And we know that he ends up denying Jesus three times. Jesus is held captive by Caiaphas and being sentenced, Peter, uh, Peter acts as if he had never known Jesus, denying him three times, just like Jesus predicted. May we be secure in Jesus' love for us. It's not about earning his approval, it's about accepting the loving sacrifice of Jesus. We don't have to get it together in order to get to God, friends. We can get to God so that we can get it together, right? We don't have to have all of our ducks in a row for God 
his love to pour over us. Let's keep reading. John 19, uh, we find ourselves at the foot of the cross. Who's there? Who's there with Jesus? Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, Mary and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, there's John again, the disciple he loved, that was his identity, that was his security. He was resting in that reality. And he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And Jesus said to John, the disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. The second benefit of Jesus' love for us is that we are available. We become available. Peter's faith was propped up against circumstances, just like the weather changed over the last couple hours. Circumstances change, don't they, so quickly. Not if the storms come, but when they come, may our faith not be propped up against circumstances, may it not rest on the, the shifting sands underneath our feet, but may our faith be built on a firm foundation, the rock, What's the rock? It's the love of Jesus for us that does not change and never fails. Peter's like kind of shaky. This is the surface level kind of faith based on performance and earning. And, and so it's no wonder that Peter wasn't there at the foot of the cross. Peter had denied Jesus. Peter had deserted. He's like living in fear. He's living in shame and in guilt. But who's there? John. John was there. John was there. Why? Because John's faith, his relationship with God was based on God's love for him, not his love for God. And there he was just available. He was available. Was he perfect? No. Are you perfect? No. But you can make yourself available to Jesus. What do you have in your hands? God has given you so much. He's given you so much, Spring Branch. He's given you time. He's given you treasure. He's given you talents and gifts. Are you making yourself available to Jesus? John made himself available. He ended up taking care of Jesus' mother. What a privilege. What an honor. There's no accident where you live. It's no accident where you work. It's no accident the gifts and talents and resources God has given you. And he's waiting for you. To be available, to make yourself available to him. He wants to use you wherever you are, no matter where you've been, no matter how imperfect or unqualified you feel like you are, Jesus wants to use you. You see, Jesus doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. I mean, throughout the Bible, we see Moses, who was a murderer. <laughs> we, we see, we see, David, who was an idolater and a murderer, he was an adulterer, he was a murderer. We see Paul, who murdered countless Christians, but we see God use these guys time and time and time again, not because they were perfect. He qualified the call, and he calls each of us to take what we've been given and present it to him as a living sacrifice. So there's John just showing up. There he is at the foot of the cross, showed up. See, when we're secure in our relationship with Jesus, we're just faithful. There's curveballs come along the way, but we have our eyes set on Jesus. 
We don't allow these interruptions to become problems. These interruptions become opportunities to serve God and to see God around us. You know, I love, there's so many examples here. We could, we could be here for hours talking about how many people here at Spring Branch just make themselves available. You know, I think about Jerry. We've mentioned him before, I know, but we call him the Greek freak because he's just everywhere all the time. He I uh, saw him this morning, he's setting up communion, he, you know, out driving the parking lot, he's mowing the grass and trimming the weeds, and he leads a Bible study during the week. You know, he also uh, helps cook breakfast for the men on Saturday mornings. It's just amazing, his heart of just availability. I mean, he'll be the first to admit that he's not perfect, he's making himself available. I think about Lynn, who dedicates hours and hours and hours to praying for you and for this church and for the leadership, and she also serves at Jay Cox, this local elementary school, this Title I school in Norfolk, and she's recruited and equipped 25 to 30 people who go over there every week and wrap their arms around these precious, precious kids who come from broken families. She's made herself available. Where are you? What has God given you? Be faithful with the opportunity right in front of you because of your security in Jesus. You'll stumble and fall, but guess who's right there to pick you up? Jesus. John makes himself available. Let's keep reading. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We know that he denied Jesus three times. We know Jesus died on the cross for us, laying down his life for us. We know that after three days, we celebrated two weeks ago on Easter, after three, after three days, he rose from the grave, the empty tomb, he gave the devil a black eye. And then for 40 days, Jesus revealed himself to his disciples and to many others. And Peter was one of those guys who saw Jesus. But yet here he is still overcome with this shame and guilt and he's kept a record of, of, of what he's done well and what he hasn't done well, the rose petal thing, and there he is going fishing. That was his previous life. Not that fishing's bad, I love fishing. But he's digressing here. When you forget where you're going, you go back to where you were. If you're not careful, if you forget where you're going, if you, if you forget your calling, you'll digress and go back to those old addictions. You'll go back to those old habits, those former ways. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Rest in the safety and stability and security of your relationship with him. Here's Peter recruiting his, his boys to go fishing. I'm going fishing. I'm out of here. I'm going fishing. They say, we'll come too. They went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Caught nothing all night. They go back. Peter leads the charge, and they go back to the predictable pain, right? Sometimes we go back to what's comfortable, um, what's predictable, and sometimes that's our old addictions, our old pain. Remember that story with Jesus is at the pool of Bethesda, and he asks some dude who's laying there. He's been laying there for, for years. He asks him, hey, do you want to get better? Do you want to get well? Which I always thought was a silly question. But he's been there for so long, he's got comfortable in his own pain. And if we're not careful, if we forget where we're going, we'll go back to where we've been. But guess what? Jesus pursues us. He doesn't give up on us. And that's what he does here. He goes to the Sea of Galilee. He goes to the beach. He gets some fish. He gets some bread. He pursues his boys because he loves them. And he knows how they're feeling. He knows how we're feeling when we're disappointed and discouraged and we experience some failure in our life, he goes after us. He doesn't leave us hanging, stranded out in the cold. 
Let's keep reading. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, other translation says, children, which is immediately this sense of love here, right? Hey, boys, just a reminder, I'm still with you. I got your back. Fellas, have you caught any fish? Of course he knows that they haven't caught any fish, right? God knows everything. He knew that they hadn't caught any fish all night. No, they replied. Probably thinking, who's that smart aleck out there rubbing it in, talking trash, right? But I think it's interesting that Jesus asked him that question. I think sometimes he wants us to process where we are. He wants us to process the place that we find ourselves in. You know, some religions call it mistakes, but Christianity calls it sin because it's disobedience to God. So I think Jesus wanted his disciples to feel, to feel helpless apart from him. They wanted, he wanted them to, 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 to come to a place of dependence. He wanted them to come to a place of, man, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Bigger sinners we know that we are, the more amazed and just overwhelmed we will be by the grace of Jesus. You're missing out on how awesome and beautiful Jesus' grace, and Jesus' grace is for you because maybe, maybe, maybe you don't realize how big of a sinner you are. No, it's kind of bad news. We're all messed up, screwed up, but we can do nothing apart from Jesus. We're so fallen and screwed up and messed up as sinners, but Jesus meets us right in the middle of that disappointment. That's what I think is happening here. He wants the disciples to feel that heavy, desperate need for a savior. You feel that. And he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish. And we read that there were 153 fish. Who counted the fish? They're probably like, oh my gosh, this is so many fish. We've got to count them. 153 fish. Then the disciple Jesus loved, there it is again, in case we forgot who, what John's identity was, where his security was. It was in Jesus' love for him. He said to Peter, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. Now remember, they were 100 yards offshore. It was dawn, it was dark. There's no way John could have recognized the dude on the beach. But he did, because he was perceptive. That's the third benefit of Jesus' love for us. We are secure, we are available, and he makes us, he makes us perceptive, spiritually perceptive. We're not so caught up on ourselves and how we're doing, that's religion. We're so, so caught up in Jesus' love for us, which makes us perceptive, which makes us aware of where he is around us and what he's doing around us. Peter didn't see it. Peter missed Jesus because of his religion. He was just drowning in his guilt and his shame. His head to the ground. But John was aware. He was perceptive. He saw all those fish. He's like, only God could have done that. How many of us believe that, that, that God can do things in this church and in this city that will just amaze us? He'll do things above and beyond what we could ever possibly ask for or imagine. I believe that in years to come, we'll look back and say, only God could have done that. Look at all those fish. And so, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, where he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. By the way, how crazy is Peter? I mean, who, 
who fishes naked, and then who goes swimming and puts clothes on, right? This guy is crazy. He's cray-cray. He's Peter. But he wanted to be the first to the shore. He wanted to be the first to Jesus because that was his mentality, right? That was his approach. It was all about performing and doing and impressing other people with his love for Jesus. So there he goes, freestyle, backstroke, butterfly, whatever. He swims as fast as he can. He channels his inner Michael Phelps and gets to the shore, gets to the beach. John and the rest of the disciples are just kind of rowing ashore, and they, they get to Jesus, and they end up having breakfast together. Verse 15, chapter 21, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? And this word love here, you may have heard the word before. In the Greek, it is agape, agape love. This agape love of Jesus is what we all need. It's what we all want. It's this never stopping, never ending, never giving up, always and forever, in blood, permanent kind of love. We want that from other people, right? We want that secure, never stopping love from other people, whether it's a friend or a spouse. There's nothing better than that, right? Somebody who fully knows you yet fully loves you. We want that. At the end of the day, that person, whether it's our spouse or a friend, is fallen, is sinful, and imperfect. We can't count on that person. That person, and my wife is amazing, but she makes a pretty bad God, right? If I replace God with her, that's not good. That's way too much expectation on her. But Jesus reveals his love, the level of his love to Peter and the rest of the boys, and it's an agape unconditional, covenantal love. In the Hebrew, it's this hesed love. It's a forever kind of love, unconditional. Do you love me more than these? We're not sure what these means. Maybe it's the fish. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's just life in general. The Psalms talk about uh, loving God more than life. Do you love Jesus more than your spouse, more than your friends, more than your house, your boat, uh, your most prized possession? You love Jesus more than your reputation. Paul talks about how when he's, when he's in love with Jesus, everything else is like rubbish. In the Greek, it's like crap. That's what it means. Everything else compared to love, the love of Jesus is like rubbish. You love Jesus more than anything else. Not because of, because of how much you can just work your way towards Jesus and just prove to everybody that you love him. Source of our love for Jesus is Jesus' love for us. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. But Peter's love for Jesus was not like Jesus' love for him. Peter's love is this phileo love. In the Greek, phileo, which is like this brotherly, friendly commitment. It's more conditional based on circumstances. Yeah, Jesus, you know I love you. You're my boy. Verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 16, Jesus repeated the question. He repeated it. Why? We'll find out. Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me? Unconditionally, no matter what. Are you really secure in this relationship? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. I don't, you know I phileo you. Peter's not getting it. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus is trying to reinstate Peter. He's trying to give Peter Opportunity to express his undying love for him. You know I phileo you. You know I'm committed to you. 
Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Then follow me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Oh, see what word Jesus used there? He met Peter on his level, just like Jesus meets us on our level. He's like, are you just committed to me? Is this just a conditional kind of commitment, kind of depending on the day? Peter says, Lord, he was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Still the same level of love there. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Peter's not quite getting it still. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, John. Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? What about that guy? What about John? What's he asking about? He's asking about when, when they will die. He's asking about the future. What, what, what about John? What, what about that guy? What's going to happen to him? You see, religion is all about comparing and competing and jostling for position. You compare yourself to other people because you're insecure. And Jesus' response is, if I want to remain alive, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, Peter, just follow me, just trust me, just accept and receive my unconditional agape love. Just accept it. Don't try to earn it. Stop trying to prove your love for me. Just open it up like a, a Christmas morning gift and just receive it. Follow me, Peter. We know the rest of the story. We, if you read the book of Acts, you see that Peter laid down his life for Jesus in the gospel. Something finally clicked. Peter got it. And he risked his life for Jesus, proclaiming the gospel to hundreds and to thousands. And we, we know how many people received Christ and were baptized. Peter was faithful. He made himself available. He became secure in his relationship with Jesus. But here's the question for you and for me today. Do you love Jesus? The answer is yes. But that love is only a result of his love for you. Stop trying and start trusting. See, it's more about life transformation. That's what Jesus is after. It's not about behavior modification. Every day before your feet hit the ground, before you start your schedule each day. May you know that Jesus loves you no matter what. Stop the rat race every day. Stop keeping track. He loves you, period, once and for all. That changes everything. It changes how we go about our life, doesn't it? It changes how we pray. It changes how we read the Bible. It changes how we relate to our spouse, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. We are secure. We don't have to be wound tight anymore, walking on eggshells. We are secure and just free because we know, yeah, we'll stumble, we'll fall, we'll fail. But I know that Jesus loves me no matter what. That changes everything. In just a moment, we're going to receive communion. On the night Jesus was betrayed, we read the story earlier, Jesus takes the cup. He takes the bread. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. The cup representing his blood shed on the cross for you. 
bread representing his body broken for you and for me. I I don't want this to be just another routine receiving of communion. I want you, between you and God, I want you just to just talk to him. I want you to listen to his still, small voice in your ear say, I love you. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. What is that one thing you need to lay at Jesus' feet today? That one thing you've been holding on to? That one thing that's become kind of your God, your way of just proving your worth, proving who you are to people? Lay it at Jesus' feet today. So Mike and the team, they're going to come up and we're going to sing a song together. And during that song, just as you feel led, come forward. We've got stations on the sides. Receive the cup, receive the bread. As you feel led, um, take those elements. And we'll come back together again and close. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for who you are and your love for us. May we hear your voice in this moment say, I love you. God, thank you for reminding us that your, your love for us is reckless and it's overwhelming and it's unending and it's agape. And may our love for you and for others be the same. Take these elements, God. Transform our lives. May we stop trying to behave the right way. May we just surrender our life to you, God. If there's one person in this place right now that needs it, just surrender. Give them the courage to do so. God, thank you for who you are, your love for us. Thank you.